Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. It is another episode of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. You know, Brian, when when it's uh, when it's St. Patrick's Day, it'll be the official. It, I was kind of thinking that sounds a little different than normal. So that that <laughs> the official. We're not that far from St. Patrick's Day. It's early February. Welcome back. Hi, Brian. How you doing? Doing good, Jordan. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, we're recording this uh, Sunday. Episode 114 of Discovery is about to to launch out onto your uh, streamable streams. Um, nobody's going to watch it tonight because it's the Super Bowl. I guess that's the beauty of having a streamed show is that you can move it to your time. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can choose to watch it whenever you want. I mean, if, if yeah. you don't want, you know, if uh, I'm being in, based in New York here, I'm a Giants fan, so. Uh, this is like the worst possible Super Bowl combination. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know too much about football, but I know I know that the Giants, which are the best team just because they are, um, they have three mortal enemies, Boston or New England, Dallas, who's not in the picture, and Philadelphia is the other enemy, well, right? Not, no, um, New England is more the enemy of the Jets, but I mean, ah. it, it's uh, the other team for the Giants will be the Redskins, but it's... Um, the, you just uh, no one wants to see the Patriots win because they they win all the time and the Giants they the win all team, the time. The Giants are the and only the, team that have beaten them in the Super Bowl twice. Right. So that well that was Deflate Gate, right? Did the Giants beat them during Deflate Gate or Deflate Gate? They did they beat the other one. Uh, Def, Deflate Gate was was separate from those. Oh, it has nothing games. to do with the Giants. Okay. Does every other team have so? It feels like New York teams have the most enemies. Like, does the What's just a random team? Do, do the Kansas City Chiefs, and how I knew that name, I have no idea because I really don't watch much football. Do the Kansas City Chiefs have a lot of enemies or they just have one? I guess everybody's got one, right? I would think so. I, I think this, the, the, the larger cities tend to have more, uh, more rivals, I, I think. I got gotcha. you. And also the city, because, you know, the um, originally when these major league sports – uh, things started there only were a few teams and of course new york would always have one pretty much yeah like the the nhl i think it started it was just like two original teams. six yeah it was, it was yeah, uh, original six it was new york and a few others yeah new, new york uh boston toronto uh montreal uh chicago and detroit there you go i'm a hockey fan so i mean i know these i know <laughs> you are i know you. how do you feel about the islanders moving back to long island where they belong um i think a lot of islander fans will be happy about that because i don't Good. think it's Moving to Brooklyn was kind of far away. 
Don't you feel it's wrong that Quebec does not have a team? Uh, well, the, the, they're always they're always rumored to have uh, to be the next expansion, but who knows? It's I think it's wrong. I mean, they're they're Canada for God's sakes. They should have the, the more teams, especially Quebec. <laughs> it's a lovely town. Welcome to Sports Podcast. <laughs> Sports.com. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, it's true. You know, the funny thing is I don't really care about professional sports. This is not my thing. However, I've seen every, like, I've been to so many games. Like, I just get dragged along. I've seen the Giants play a bunch of times. And, in fact, I saw, if you watch, like, you know, these ESPN documentaries, I was there for one of the most exciting and important Giants games in history. It wasn't a Super Bowl. And it wasn't even a playoff game, but it's considered like one of the great games. It was the Giants versus, um, I want to say, Denver. I don't remember when. I guess it was probably, geez, it was probably 20 years ago or something. I don't know. The late 90s, early early aughts. And the Giants were down, down, down. They were going into the fourth quarter. They were down 36 points or whatever. And then they rallied in the end, and it's what put them in the finals. And then they eventually did really well and blah, blah, blah. And um, despite all that, I was still bored out of my mind. I just, you know, but but nevertheless, I was there, man. And when sometimes I talk to Giants fans, they're like, you were at the game, and I was like, I was, I was, <laughs> I was, I was reading a book. All right, so listen, um, the exciting time that has nothing to do with the Super Bowl. So listen, so so you don't care. It's New England versus Philadelphia. You don't care who wins, right? No, I don't care at all. I, I all I care about is my Super Bowl box is uh, hitting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you know what's going to happen is um, probably by the time this airs, the front page will be Philadelphia in ruins, right? Because no matter what happens, they're going to riot. Right? I, I think so, yes. Uh, <laughs> I think there will, there will definitely be something that will happen in Philadelphia. <sighs> you know, um, if they win, they'll riot. If they lose, they'll riot. And if they lose by a controversial call. Oh, that's going to be the like, worst. That, that, that'll if, be the worst if, case scenario. <laughs> Yeah, if the ump or the ref, uh, you know, throws a flag where he shouldn't throw a flag, and then look at me, throws a flag like I know what I'm talking about. If the ref throws <laughs> that, a flag, true. and um, and that leads to the Pats winning, the Liberty Bell shall have a second crack in it because yes. there'll be so much tumult. It, uh, it might be more pieces. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. You know, it's funny because, again, we were talking about hockey. We think of Canada as, like, a little bit more civilized than the United States. I do. I've been to Canada yeah, a number of times. Yeah, I, I have and, not been yet, but I do I do share that sentiment. Yeah, no, it's – I mean, it's – like, the joke is that Canadians spend all day apologizing to each other, and it's true. I've been to Toronto many, many times, and if you're on the um, – they have streetcars there. Um, they have subways, too, but they have a streetcar, and it gets very crowded, and so all you hear are them going, sorry, 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 and it <laughs> sounds like sounds like I'm being racist to Canadians, but it's true all, that the stereotype is 100% true. They're very polite. The cities are clean. You know, they have a, a socialized medicine to a degree. It's it's by and large a utopia compared to these United States. Sounds very, very but, Federation-like. Right, it really does. <laughs> in fact, not only that, the... Um, the public transportation in a lot of places is free. I know in Calgary it's free, and so I've been there. It's a, well, oh, wow. anyway, um, the point is I'm making is this. X amount of years ago, I'm going to say somewhere around five years ago or so, Vancouver won the NHL playoffs, and they had a riot. And this is utopian Canada, and they, they lit garbage cans on fire and overturned cars and went bananas in the streets. Well, uh, up in Canada, hockey is like the thing. So, I mean... 
if if like one of the the baseball teams or basketball teams up there would have won, I don't think the the reaction would be as right. massive. But I don't get it. your team wins. You 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 then decide to go turn over a car. Yeah, I don't understand that either. I guess you're just really excited and you want to go yeah. out and do something. Like but when I'm, flipping over cars like, and smashing windows doesn't make sense to me. It makes does it does not like you applaud. It's like hey, we you know, won. You, Let's rob our fellow citizens. No, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So what I'm saying is, if that happened in Vancouver, God knows what's going to happen in Philadelphia. Because let me tell you. To those who are listening, you know, we have a lot of listeners that, that are don't live in, you know, I have listeners in Brazil, and I know we have some in, like, Sweden and Norway. Philadelphia is a beautiful city, but the people that live there are crazy, right? Yes. Everybody you know from Philadelphia is a maniac. So if they win, it's all over. So hopefully they, I don't know what. You know what? It's I don't just, know which is the worst outcome. I really don't. It should have never come to this. They should not allow Philadelphia teams <laughs> to do well. There should be a clause. There should be a law. Uh, passed immediately in Congress. <laughs> Philadelphia teams should be, by law, disallowed from entering the finals because well, it's now, cause now this chaos. sounds a lot more like the Terran Empire. <laughs> I know I'm being very draconian. Am I not? I guess uh, it's really wrong of me. All right. Well, listen, that's what's happening in in the news today. And by the time this airs, uh, we will know. We will know what happened. We'll have martial law in Philadelphia, which is a lovely town, by the way. Beautiful architecture, nice restaurants. Um, what but, else is uh, going spe- on this Speaking week? of news, though, um, yeah, I read that uh, Zachary Quinn was up to something new. Uh, that <laughs> I, I think I don't have that much knowledge of, but I think you might. Uh, and I, the, you're talking, you're talking about in search of. Yes, I couldn't remember the name of it. This, yeah, Zachary. Th- there is a this Justin Bulletin. We always like to keep track of our Star Trek alum, and Zachary Quinto, the man who would be Spock, who was wonderful as Spock uh, of the Kelvin timeline in the three motion pictures who also lends his voice uh, in Star Trek Online and some other Star Trek-involved uh, things, uh, has announced that he is going to be the lead voice in the reboot of In Search Of. Now, if you're not of a certain age, you don't know what In Search Of is. It's In Search Of dot, 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 by the way. In Search Of was a television show from the late 1970s into the early 1980s, which then re-aired in syndication, much like early Star Trek, for... Forever. Um, and it was always on. It always scared the pants off of me when I was a little kid. It would come on like on Saturday afternoons or Sunday afternoons on like the cheap station. Now in the days of cable, it's hard to know. Like the lo- like in New York, we had Channel 9, which was like the ghetto station. It was like the lowest of the low. There was, you know, 2, 4, and 7 were CBS, NBC, and ABC. Channel 5 Later would become Fox, but at the time it was just Channel 5, which was like the local station, but the best of the three. And then you had Channel 11, which is where Star Trek would rerun in the middle of the night, and that was pretty good. And like they showed the Jeffersons after school, so that was a good station. But then there was Channel 9, which was just like, oh, you know, nothing was going on in Channel 9. Lo- like, <laughs> here's how low Channel 9 was. When Howard Stern had a local television cha- station, he was on Channel 9. That's right. <laughs> That tells you how bad Channel 9 was, right? They would do anything. Then there was Channel 13, PBS, of course, which is all I watched. Anyway, so In Search Of was um, like pseudoscience. It was fun, like uh, like those Time Life books. It was about like alien abductions and the Bermuda Triangle and Killer Bees and all this late 70s, early 80s, a Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster. And it would be... Um, it was like shot on grainy 16 millimeter and it had like this kind of early 
Moog synthesizer music, and it would be like a, a serious investigation into the Bermuda Triangle. And it was just the type of thing that they would have just like a tiny bit of actual science, and then the rest would just be like, they would interview these wackos who were convinced the Bermuda Triangle was, you know, whatever it was, a portal into another dimension or whatever. And, you know, I'm, I'm eight years old, and I'm flipping around. I'm terrified of the Bermuda Triangle, you know? I'm, you know, we're going to go down to Florida uh, to go to Disney World with my parents. I'm like, that's close to the Bermuda Triangle. I don't want to go. We're going to get sucked into the Bermuda Triangle. So um, anyway, the voice of the voiceover was Leonard Nimoy. Originally, it was Rod Serling, right? Because that's who you get. And then Rod Serling dropped dead. So they got Leonard Nimoy at a time when there wasn't much going on. I guess it was just after Star Trek The Motion Picture, just around the time. And of course, you know, Leonard Nimoy has a wonderful voice and not naturally anything science fiction-y, you know, would be great for him. And he would just do the voiceover and he would, you know, it would be like, uh, well, well, like over some of the topics, like, you know, um, could it be that telepathy is real? You know, this woman has an identical twin across the globe. And when she burns her hand on a pot, this woman feels it, you know. And they would cut like in the middle, there would be like a shot of him in like a groovy suit surrounded by like photos of like Mayan temples and like drawings of pineal glands and third eyes and like kind of you know all this mystical stuff and he'd be like getting back to our pro you know we return now to the woman in, in santa fe new mexico who burned her hand on a pot you know so anyway why am i telling you all this i'm telling you all this because it's a great bit of kitsch in search of it's a great wonderful thing to, to watch um but it's leonard nimoy shtick it, at the time it was like his tj hooker right uh you know shatner when he was done with trek he was T.J. Hooker, and and Nimoy was in search of. That was their big post-Star Trek gig in the late 70s. And so Zachary Quinto has now announced that he is rebooting the show. Now, I don't know if he's the producer on it or if he's just the hired gun. I probably should look that up. But I will say I had twin reactions, Brian. I had twin immediate reactions. Number one, obviously my reaction was, oh, that's awesome. Because In Search of is funny and cool, and I'll, I'll watch the hell out of that. And it's great that they got Zachary Quinto. Of course you get Zachary Quinto, because he's the new Spock, and Leonard Nimoy is no longer with us, and that's who you get. But then I, I was Out of thinking, curiosity, what channel is this going to be airing on? Because I, I, I want to say, I, I wanna say oh, this, fe- this feels like it's going to be the History Channel, which is kind of not... Yeah. It is I'm the sure History Channel. <laughs> it is? You're looking it up right now? Um, no, I'm asking you. Yeah, I'm sure it is the History Channel. I'm sure it or is. Let me, let me look it up then. Um, or, or, or or History 2 or something. I yes, it is the History Channel. I, I feel like the History Channel is, because, is not so much history anymore. Um, no. It, it, and it does have a lot to do with like weird alien abduction kind of stuff. So oh, this makes history a lot of channel, sense that this is there. They have so devaluated their name. The History Channel in the early days of cable was like an actual channel. You know, It was like, let's learn about... You know, the Battle of Hastings. Let's learn about the Magna Carta. It was real. It was actual history documentaries. Now it is complete and utter trash. Um, I mean, at least In Search of is going to be fun trash, you know. But So I don't know if Quinto is, um, is producing it or not. But let's say that he isn't. Or let's say the idea didn't spring for him. He was somehow approached. I will say this to my friend Zachary. I am... 
I'm not just going to say concern, because what you do with your life is your business. It does strike me as interesting that Zachary Quinto would choose to do this simply because, as an outside observer with no real stake in the game, it doesn't seem like the wisest career move. Not that doing voiceover for a dopey but fun pseudoscience show isn't a good idea, but but to con- to continue to walk in Leonard Nimoy's path is... Um, I don't think it's going to expand his opportunities in the future. What what I find interesting about it is that I I could swear that, uh, I I guess even before Beyond came out, Star Trek Beyond came out, that he had said that he didn't want to continue doing the role that often because he didn't want to get pigeonholed in these kind of uh, roles and and, and the role as Spock. So this is almost kind of like he, I guess he did, or or maybe he changed his mind? Well, they, they must have offered him a heck of a lot of money is what it is. I mean... He's essentially created a one-man Leonard Nimoy cover band. You know, he's 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 the guy who does who's he's redoing Leonard Nimoy. I mean, that's yeah. cool. He's a cool guy to be. I mean, Quinto's an interesting cat because he does produce many um, independent films, uh, none of which have been spectacular box office successes. But I don't think that is uh, his goal. I mean, he uh, has used his you know clout in the biz and his his certainly his his uh he's got some dough so he can help get some initial uh, capitalization going but he has produced a lot of smaller independent films not even the big ones that appear at like sundance like smaller than that Uh, probably the most famous one he did was one called margin call which he was in also which was quite good and and um that one did make a lot of noise but he's done a few others that have been you know small projects that have that have then achieved a small amount of acclaim and that's fine. Um, and then, you know, he's been in some other movies. Uh, you know, he shows up as a bad guy here and there. Wasn't he in uh, Hitman 2, right? <laughs> Which was I didn't see. But, you know, he was in Hitman 2, and I'm sure he that was fun for him. And, you know, certainly uh, got it, you know, probably he, a nice uh, paycheck. He, he dipped his toe in the, uh, the comic publishing industry as well. Uh, I remember going to uh, what a friend of mine went to Midtown Comics uh, for a signing for him for a book he didn't write. It was just, he was just on he just like was a part of the company and i i mm. guess it was they were using his name to sell the books and you know i went and right, got it signed yeah and- yeah i mean he's he's a guy and he he uh he is he is more than just an actor he is a producer as well and that's groovy it just strikes me as strange that of all the things he can be doing in television this seems to be like the thing that he would want to do least especially if he was worried about being pigeonholed as spock like could you like if they rebooted T.J. Hooker, Chris Pine would never do that role. No, right? like he would. He would. Well, say, no, because they do it like really gritty now or something like that, and he maybe he would. <laughs> well, I that's don't how know. T- TV goes to, now. It just seems to me like you know everybody else in top line of Trek. Ha- I mean, Simon Pegg had a career going in, so he's fine. John Cho is doing some very interesting smaller films, also. You know, who's in that movie Columbus that I really liked. Um, uh, Anton Yelchin, before he passed away, was doing a, a ton of smaller movies like, um, what was that really crazy horror movie he did? Uh, it wasn't a horror movie, the violent one. Blue, oh, uh, Green uh, Room. Green Room, yeah. Green Room, yeah. Um, Saldana's in the Guardians of the Galaxy and Avatar, she's busy. 
Um, I guess the you know everybody else seems to be doing their own thing. Pine is you know Wonder Woman, and he's got uh, Wrinkle in Time coming out. It just seems weird. I don't know. Like, well, it just seems strange that Quinta would choose to do this. I you know I'm just I was just kind of shocked when I heard it. But you know I'll, again I'm going to stop ragging on Zachary Quinto. I love the guy. Uh, Zachary Quinto was a great Spock. He chose. He is choosing an unexpected path. I can't wait to watch the new In Search of, and I'm thunderstruck that he chose to do it. But rock and roll and cool for him, right? That's 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 my ultimate ultimate statement on that. Sounds good to me. Um, and you should watch old In Search of's on uh, on YouTube uh, and have a kick. You know, Bigfoot's coming, and um, the Bermuda Triangle is going to swallow you whole. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. Energize. We got to talk. Oh, the other thing I did, by the way, and, and let's address this before we get into episode 114. Um, I finished um, The Orville season one. Oh, I, uh, you know what? I I I I kind of forgot to finish it. I, I don't remember what episode I was on. Yeah, I was close to the, to the end of it. Did you get to the one where the doctor, uh, the doctor's two kids, and the robot are trapped on the planet? Yes, I did. That might have been the last one I saw. That was that's so funny. That's the one that I stopped on too. I thought that was a really boring episode, and I feel bad because that was the one that had the most. Most of them have been written by Seth MacFarlane himself. And I have always been excited by the fact that he's got so many Star Trek producers in very key roles. And Brandon Braga and Andre Bormanis are both involved, and as well as you know the, the, some actors and whatnot. Um, but uh, Braga has written one or two others, and he directed one or two. And Bormanis, who was like the science advisor on late era Trek and is the science advisor on this one, he and Braga co-wrote that episode and that episode, forgive me guys, if you're listening was just, it just didn't do it for me, you know? And that was the one where I stopped watching. And then, um, I went on the Star Trek cruise and I saw there was, you know, on costume night. Well, every night's costume night on the Star Trek cruise, but on like extra costume night, um, I saw two jokers dressed in, uh, Orville costumes, (laughs) which, uh, you know, I thought was cool. I mean, there's a, there are some people in the Star Trek camp that that found that like they're like, yeah, Orville. Yeah. I don't, I, I'm fine with the Orville, um, and they look great. They had made their own Orville costumes. They had the the patch down and everything, and it reminded me. I'm like, you know what? Even though it episode eight really stunk, I'm gonna go back and finish it because it's twelve episodes altogether, and um, episode eleven and twelve are really good. I really like them. But I, I had this, I just kind of wanted to sum up my thoughts on the Orville now that it's done. Um, I really think, uh, even though it's, it is, I mean, episode 12 of the Orville really is just a total ripoff of a pre-existing Voyager episode called um, Blink of an Eye. Not Wink of an Eye, Blink of an Eye. Um, and also in that episode, it was the first time they mentioned the Prime Directive. 
And they don't call it the Prime Directive, but one of the guys, one of the two jokey guys who are the navigator and pilot, say to um, First Officer Kelly, what's her name? They say something like, well, if it is a pre, you know, if it's an early civilization, you must not contaminate. And she's like, yeah, 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 you don't have to tell me about about contaminating early. She's like, yeah, yeah, I know what the what the Prime Directive is. Shut up. I watch Star Trek. You know, it was just kind of a funny little little in joke. Um, so even though it is totally ripped off from Star Trek, and all it is is just as I've said before, it's McFarlane daydreaming about what it would be like for him to act in Star Trek and then to add jokes. Um, it's just it's just silly still that there is whenever I mention the Orville on Twitter, I get some clown responding like it's more real Star Trek than Discovery. And I'm just like, my reaction to that, Brian, is a very mature one. My reaction is shut up. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, that's a completely irrelevant thing to say it's, like especially I, since it's, it's it's i guarantee that that anger is based on the fact that it's not on television <laughs> that's right which, yeah which the anger no is based sense. on I, I don't want to spend money on cbs all access they are so different the shows are so fundamentally different star trek discovery is a show that is as we're going to discuss this week because it really comes into effect this week serialized single arc you know very of its time. Star Trek Discovery is so very current and now. The Orville, which is very funny, is like putting on a high school play, remembering the old days. And they each have their place. Now, clearly, I'm much more interested in what's going on forward. And I find Discovery more interesting because Orville is the one that, while I enjoyed, I just forgot to watch for like a month. Same you know, here. I, in- I, did, I wasn't <laughs> not enjoying it. I just I forgot it was on because I've been right, watching had- it on Hulu and not on TV. <laughs> yeah, you had a life to live and you just forgot. Um, yeah, and had I not seen those two dopes on the cruise in their awesome Orville uh, outfits, I would have probably never watched it. Um, gotten back to it anyhow, and I'm glad I did watch it. It was it's funny. There's some episode eleven. They go to a, a, a two dimensional universe and. Um, they uh, and Seth MacFarlane actually mentions a book that I always loved as a kid called Flatland by Edwin Abbott, which is this, like very short mathematical text. It's it's like a jokey book that it was about. Um, yeah, it was about a couple things. Number one, it was about ge- geometry um, theories, and then Flatland is also about. It was like sort of a codified social critique of its day about classes and whatnot, and. Um, McFarlane, like they go to the two dimensional world, and I'm thinking, oh, this is just like Flatland. And then he even says, "Did you ever read a book called Flatland?" I'm like, "Whoa, this is what I was thinking." So McFarlane gets a thumbs up from me, but then he also, like, ten minutes later, he says something about Doctor Who, and he calls it the phone booth from Doctor Who. And I'm like, the TARDIS is not a phone booth. The TARDIS is a police call box. What's wrong with you? <laughs> so I'm like, McFarlane. What the F? Like, you can get the really esoteric Flatland reference down, but you're going to whiff on Doctor Who? Get out of here. <laughs> well, maybe it's it was done by design to, to take, take a swipe at them, or who knows? <laughs> no, I think it's just McFarlane never, never, he's always great at, like, coming close, but never quite crossing the finish line, you know? That's that's just that's just who he is, you know? he He's funny, and he seems really smart, 
and then he hosts the Oscars and he sings "We Saw Your Boobs." You know, it's just like that's just who <laughs> that's he true. is. I remember just, that. <laughs> yeah, that was such an un- unfortunate moment. Um, anyway, so my point is this: uh, the, the the kind of revelation I had about uh, the Orville is uh, they're complete. Even though it's a star, it is a Star Trek ripoff, and um, you know, it's just like I want to do my Star Trek. Even though it's that the shows are so 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 different that it's not even a point like, well, enjoy both. It's not like Babylon Five and Deep Space Nine when they were both on side by side. I was like, yes, there are many similarities, but we may enjoy both. It's not even that. They are apples and freaking oranges. These two shows, they really are. So, I um, I scoff at anyone who who wants to um, do any sort of compare and contrast at this point. We're a season done on Orville and almost a season done on Discovery and they have no connection whatsoever and whatever you want to call true Star Trek I mean that's that's a concept that doesn't exist I mean there are people for whom true Star Trek is the original series and Next Generation doesn't work you know they're they're still out there I see them at I bump into them once in a while at, at conventions and that's um that's all right they're wrong but that's you know it's, it's <laughs> everybody has the, has the uh has the um has the right to be wrong right so uh, that's the the deal with uh, with the Orville. The other thing about the Orville that that why it's not per like I like it and I'm glad I watched it and I, l- I look forward to season two. McFarlane's really got to give up on the thread of being angry at his wife for cheating on him. Like nobody cares. Like like it's a bad look. Like he's got to calm down with that. Like there's a whole arc of like maybe it wasn't Kelly's fault for sleeping with Rob Lowe, the blue guy. Like he had her under a trance. It's like, dude, shut up! You Wait, know, the no, blue guy was Rob Lowe. I didn't know he comes back, and that's when I realized it was. Oh, okay. Wow, I didn't, I didn't realize that either. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah, I did not realize it at first either. Oh, and the other thing, you know, who's in one of uh, the episodes that you haven't seen yet is um, Bob Picardo. Really? He, yeah, he plays Alara, the strong girl, uh, the, the chief of uh, security, the 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 shrimpy girl who's like, uh, who's actually super strong, really yeah, strong. Uh, that's her father. You see him on a video screen. He's only in it for two minutes, but it was definitely Bob Picardo with funny makeup on his face. Wow, I mean, they, they've also pulled like a lot of, you know, pretty major guest stars in that show. Um, yeah, Charlize Theron. So yeah, she was there. I uh, wasn't Liam Neeson in an episode. Yeah, Liam Neeson also on a video screen for yeah. for, you know, clearly it's like Liam, it's Seth. We've said we've always wanted to work together. Can you be at the studio by two? You know, you'll be out of He's there like, by no, three. Can I do it from my house? So I, and I'll, I'll be on a screen. Right, even yeah, better. Sure. It's like I live in New York. Can I, can I shoot it in New York? Yes, we'll set up a uh, we'll set up a satellite hookup. Don't worry, we're only shooting from your <laughs> neck up. Just wear a funny wig. Uh, yeah. So uh, <laughs> anyway, so the thing about that, I hope that thread dies in season two uh, because it's just it's just kind of boring and comes off as a little bit. Um, like whiny, whiny man a little bit, and it's a. I'm not gonna say it's hateful toward women because the character is really interesting, Kelly, and she has a nuanced. I can't believe I'm talking nuance on the Orville because it's a dumb, dumb, jokey show. <laughs> but she's a good character, Kelly, and she, she and her relationship with uh, Ed, the captain played by McFarlane, is pretty good. But that whole thread is just, it makes me wince a little bit. Like, I, you know, we're still 12, 12 episodes in and we're still talking about that. Like, get over it. So, that is my uh, review. Uh, welcome to the, well, so first we did the sports podcast. <laughs> now we did the Orville podcast. Well, first, first sports, then in search of, then the Orville. Oh, my God. Now yeah. Star Trek. 
Well, let, you know what? It, it's maybe it's all by design, Brian. Because uh, I don't know how you felt about episode one one four, but it was um, felt like a little bit of an in betweener. Would you yeah. agree with that? It, it felt like a, like a reset, which I think is is warranted after the uh, the fast pace of the last few episodes. Yes, yes, they're they're kind of letting their adrenaline calm down a little bit, and they're figuring out what the next steps are, and then clearly, hopefully. They're building to some explosives in episode 115, which will be the season finale and then no new discovery for a very, very long time. The thing, the the kind of the one thought that I had, and if this sounds like I'm backpedaling on what I just said about Discovery, don't take it that way. I mean, one of the things that's so interesting about the show is that it's the first modern you know, well, it's the first, it's it's a Star Trek. It's very modern, you know, in that, um, you know, we've talked about similarities in Game of Thrones and how it's all very, uh, it, it's um, serialized in a way that even Deep Space Nine wasn't serialized, and it feels itself most in this episode one one four, um, because in all of old Star Trek, TOS, TNG, it would always be like, oh, remember the one where they. Remember the one where Kirk and Spock fight? Remember the one where there's the doomsday machine? Uh, remember the one where they go to that planet and it's red hour and everybody goes bananas? Uh, remember the one where there's the guy with the half white face and the half black face? There's no remember the... Nobody's ever going to say remember the one where they... And they're referencing referencing this episode. It's a very good point. This episode has... Um, like it's it's mostly in service of getting us from the last one to the next one. Like, sure, there are some things that happen, but it doesn't really have a uh, unless unless I need to watch it again and it's it's kind of like you know under the surface. There really isn't a hook to it. Yeah, There's it no... doesn't have its own identity at all. Yeah, yeah, and that's totally new for Star Trek. I mean, TNG and e- even DS Nine when it was in the middle of the Dominion War. There would still be, I mean, there were some that were like two and three parters, like, you know, they're, they're trapped in the Jem'Hadar, have to fight Worf and blah, blah, blah. But um, this one, I, 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 there really isn't that. Now, does that mean that this is, that we should just ignore this and throw it in the sea? No, absolutely not, because it's building toward a, a larger purpose and it's in service of a larger story and it's in service of a new form of television. Um, but um, something that I don't. Uh... Something that Matt Matt brought up when uh, on the episode he was on is that th- this show is very much structured like a comic book, and yeah, this is definitely yeah. one of those like in between issues to, before you jump into the next story arc. I mean, granted, we're going into a finale, but but still, um, it, it felt like one of those in between episodes or issues. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. You know, the the big crossover is done. And uh, and and it's one of those. But but again, not to say that it was not without its uh, merits. I believed. I think it was very early. Let me grab my notes here because I had to write this down because it was very important. Um, mirror, mirror universe. Um, Georgiou. Uh, <laughs> when she meets our Saru. Oh yes. Our lovable Saru, he's so nice. He's a good man, and he's 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 overcoming his fears. And she says, "We dine on the entrails of his brethren." 
That's a great line. There was some confusion um, on the internet about that Kelpian that they eat in the uh, in the um, palace ship. Some people thought that that was Mirror Saru that they ate. I don't. I'm ninety no, uh, no, eight percent certain that it was not. No, because he uh, Burnham came to the ship on a shuttle. Remember, it was just Burnham yes, and yeah. Lorca. So Saru was still on the Discovery. Uh, no, the the Mirror Discovery. The no, Shenzhou. Mirror Shenzhou. Right. Yes. Yeah, I, I I I totally agree with that. Um, unless they shipped him over later, I mean, it's possible that there was a second arrival. I mean, they they kind of look similar. All the the three Kelpians that yeah. were standing there. Yeah, but I, I when I first watched it out, I, I did not think it was Saru. And then when people said, it, "I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure Saru's still on the Mirror Shenzhou," but, um, you know, I, I, I don't think I don't think he is. Um, yeah, and the other really cool thing, yeah. So we get Mirror. I think kind of the best thing about this episode is seeing Mirror Georgiou reemerge as regular Georgiou as sort of a secret wartime agent and just seeing the ship also transform was funny i love the one image of uh there's a cutaway and they show they're on the saucer of the ship repainting it again yes <laughs> like that little that little uh that little detail of like oh we're in the mirror universe and we all have to wear these funny new costumes and we've got to paint the the hull of the ship in case somebody should see us <laughs> we, you know just in case somebody's Not reading people the- love to see no, that's true, but they have to repaint it. It's like you know, it's like detailing the van. You know, you gotta make sure it says I- <laughs> ISS and now back to USS. You know, speaking of, by the way, Brian, how is this for a transition? We're talking about the ships and the saucers and the details. Um, as you probably know, one of the current sponsors of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast, is Eagle Moss. Ryan, you know that. Yes, I do. Eagle Moss is offering something to what is Eagle Moss? Eagle Moss is a company. They're a British company, and they make the most amazing uh, models of um, Star Trek ships that you can put on your desk and on your coffee table and all over your house or office. And um, they're you know these diecast models that are fantastic and so so detailed and really really they drill down. There's dozens and dozens and dozens. Ships that only appear in an episode for 0.8 seconds, fear not, they get an Eagle Moss ship. So um, I just want to let you know, if you're a fan, you should check this out because they are officially authorized by CBS. Uh, It is the ultimate collection of vessels across the Star Trek universe from the original series all the way to beyond and beyond. They, um, I saw a video of how they make that, the the special uh, medals they use. They take the CG models, the actual documents they got from CBS and from the films, and um, they all clip onto a little, um, I guess, a little plastic uh, metal-based but plastic hinge so you can kind of put them anywhere. And you can start your collection today. Oh, and they all come with, like, a magazine. That's right. So on week 12, if you get... Well, the first one you're going to get is the, uh, the Enterprise D, the classic TNG Enterprise D. You start your collection with that, and you only pay four ninety five with free shipping, and then new models ship twice monthly. And you can cancel your subscription anytime. And with it comes a really cool, um, like color glossy dossier of every ship. So the Enterprise D, sure, that's easy enough. But then when you get really deep into it, you know, you get Talaxian ships and Cardassian ships and God knows what else. 
It's a really cool collection to have. So you should check it out at st-starships.com slash engage. st-starships.com slash engage. And yes, they are sponsoring the show, but I really do think that um, I'm, I'm not telling a fib. Uh, if you're a fan who has been thinking about collecting stuff, Eagle Moss is the way to go because it's a direct mail service. They send it to you. They're really, really cool. They look nice. I have a few of them. I don't have the full collection, Brian. I'm not going to fib. Um, I don't have the full collection because uh, my wife would kill me But because uh, I got so much other Star Trek stuff. But the ones that I have are really cool, and I think that you should get on the train. ST-Starships.com slash Engage. So we were talking about um, episode fourteen. Well, I mean, how we how we came into that was we, we talked about Georgia's emergence as uh, a not dead, uh, you know, Philippa Georgia, Captain Philippa Georgia, not Emperor Georgia. And honestly, I have to say that my my even though I, I saw it coming, I felt it, and you know, my jaw still dropped on the floor. Honestly, like when she walked out and they got all slow mo, and then you kind of see the reactions <laughs> of Saru and Michael, and they're like. Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah, because they're one of the few that actually know the truth. There are very few people that know that she's in the mirror universe. Uh, Correct. Michael Burnham knows, Saru knows, whoever else was in the um, transporter room when she came over, which is, like, you know, so a handful of random transporter room people, and Saru said, this is, this is classified, so no gossiping. Uh, so most people will buy that she's back from the dead, you know? Yeah, no, no so you, you can actually see some some of the reactions on like I I think I noticed Osakun in particular and Detmer uh, they kind of like look and smile like they're excited and then you see this look of terror on Saru and, and Burnham's faces. Right. So what do you think? I mean, well then you know I don't know is this the right thing to do or not? I guess um, Admiral uh, Bone Claw. What is her name? Cornwell. Uh, Cornwell. <laughs> she is. Uh, she's the new Lorca. In that she's kind of she's kind of being a little bit of ends justify the means here. She needs, you know, uh, Giorgio's know how of how to how to conquer the uh, Klingons, and she uh, she's going to exploit that any way she can. Well, and, some, uh, some, I'm not sure who said it, but maybe it was, maybe it was Sarek. But uh, they they said that you know Federation tactics aren't working. Maybe it was Cornwell that said it, but um, and this certainly is. Not Federation tactics, but um, it, it's it, it it's definitely a great dramatic choice. But I mean, this yeah. is absolutely going to backfire them in some capacity. <laughs> yeah, it has no to, right? I mean, it has to backfire by next week. I think. I don't think it's going to hold over to season two. They got to get Michelle Yeoh out of her contract. You know, I think that uh, I think it's going to backfire very soon. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll find out, but you're right. That that's the other thing. I was like, oh, this isn't gonna go well. What are they thinking? This is yeah. this is nuts. Uh, I love that. So her big plan is that they're gonna cloak and they're gonna like transport the ship via a spore jump into a cave. That does not sound safe. No, it does not. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Neither does riding a shockwave of an explosion uh, to another dimension. So that's I mean, true. <laughs> that's true. The other big thing that happened this week was, and I, I thought it was it was very interesting, and dramatically it was the most interesting thing on the show, was um, the bump in Stamets has with Tyler. Yes. And Stamets, um, you know, not pleased to see Tyler, but mature enough to realize that that wasn't Tyler that killed Colbert, right? 
Yes, I, um, it, it definitely it definitely reminded me of classic Star Trek with you know that kind of more um, utopian ideal and not you know holding grudges and right, but also still human. Like he says to him, "I you yeah. feel terrible right now, right?" And he goes, "Yeah." He goes, "Well, good." Like that felt pretty real. Like, uh, like I would have been upset that, if he decked him. You know, I would have been upset if he decked him. I would have understood it, but I would have yeah. been more upset if he was like. Oh, Ash, my buddy, I it's, I know you're hurting. It's not really you. Like that's not realistic. Yeah, I you know agree. the guy. The guy killed, and, and you know, uh, and Stamus is probably feels a little guilty for not just totally embracing him because it isn't Ash's fault at all. It's it's it was the condition of his mental state and and the the two sides inside of him and all that other crap. But uh, you know, what would you do if you if if I mean, it's a terrible thing to think about, but if if someone ever, um, if there was a car accident and it was totally not the other guy's fault, but someone close to you was killed, you'd want to kill that guy. This is yeah. nothing you can do about it. Um, if it's if it's a tiny bit his fault, then you like you know, oh, I wasn't looking, I was I was distracted that you want to destroy him. But even if it's completely not their fault, it's like you idiot, you you you're culpable, you're you're. you're so it's totally human to to want to be angry, um, but the, so they played it in a really nice way. I mean, I think Anthony Rapp is such an interesting performer, and uh, that scene could have gone a hundred ways. And it's all it's all rap scene. It's nothing against uh, Shazad Latif, but he's being very passive in that scene. He's like a, re- a recipient of whatever rap is going to throw at him, and rap throws him a very unique way of responding it's a unique reaction in the writing and an even more unique reaction in the performance i thought that was just a really great scene um and yeah you're right it isn't it 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 would have been it's kind of the only way to do it because if he was to punch him in the face he'd be like that's not the guy we know and if he was just to slap him on the back it um it would be phony also you know absolutely yeah, and then the rest of the ship, of course, they they kind of um, throw in because he goes to <laughs> he goes to the lunchroom, right? They're all in high school, right? It's basically high school in space. <laughs> they go to he goes to the lunchroom and he goes to the replicator, which makes a nice uh, tose sound, and he gets his lunch and he's sitting all by himself, and everybody looks at him like he's a monster because he kind of is. He killed Doctor Culver, and then Tilly, of course, who's lovely, goes and sits with him, and. Um, Again, she has a really nuanced thing. He's like, I'm okay. And she says, there's no possible way that could be true. You know, which I just thought was so nice and so honest and and caring in a way. Like, don't, there's no point in bullshitting, you know, but but I'm going to sit with you anyhow. I, I kind of love, too, the, uh, the, the, the showing the, the character growth of Tilly. Because, I mean, in the first, the first episode we meet her, she's kind of sitting by herself as well. And she's self-proclaimed as a socially awkward person. Um, so, I mean, you kind of see that her presence in the ship and her actions have kind of, you know, had an impact and people are actually, you know, gravitating to her, uh, and her actions. Yeah. She's, you know, it's funny because you're, you're right. Not only has she grown, but the other characters now look up to her, even though she was only the pretend captain in the mirror universe, she has attained a sort of leadership role. Yeah. And know? I mean, the, she, 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 she had a role in getting them home. Like a very important role. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Um, yeah, so the others go and sit. It was funny. I was watching it, and and she sits down, and then somebody else sits down, and then Detmer sits down. And Detmer always looks so angry, you know, but she sits down anyway. And um, they cut to, like, a wider shot. It's like, they're going to run out of room at that table. <laughs> they are, <laughs> they need yes. To get a, they need to get an extender. Like, there's literally no room for them all to sit with them. Hey, so. when, I, when I was in high school, the, the lunch table was extended, like, the entire, like, the length of the room. I don't know where, they, where they're shopping. <laughs> That's right. They need to go someplace else and check it out. So, uh, um, hey, Brian, you know, talking about the scenes in the uh, in the lunchroom and the uh, replicator reminded me of some something. You know, we don't have replicators here in the 20th, 21st century, in the year 2018, but we have something close. Yes. It's called HelloFresh. And I don't know if you've uh, used HelloFresh, but I have. And it's a wonderful service where they send to you through the U.S. mail um, a uh, collection, a specially designed uh, meal for you and your family uh, to your specifications, vegetarian, non-vegetarian, this, that, or the other thing. And they don't send it to you where it's ready to go. You don't just pop it out of the box and into the microwave. Heaven forfend. They send you the exact ingredients, and it's kind of like a middle middleman between shopping for yourself and ordering out you get all of the ingredients uh sent to you but the key thing is it's the exact and precise amount so you know sometimes you look in a recipe and it's like now add a pinch of something and you know a pinch of uh pinch of paprika and you go oh i don't have any paprika so you go to the store and you buy a jug of paprika you use a pinch, and then you don't use it again for 10 years. So what HelloFresh will do is they'll give you just the right amount. It's perfect. You don't have to waste all this time, money, and in cabinet space on something you never use. And uh, the meals are great. The chefs really prepare it nicely. The instructions are very easy to read and easy to follow. Um, they're always uh, health, health conscious. And they're not too, uh, they, they don't have too much of this, too much fat, too much salt, too much of this. And it's exciting to do. It's a fun thing to do. Um, it's, it's uh, it, you know, it's, it's a confidence booster because you know you're going to get it right because it's all laid out for you there. So that's why I think if you haven't done it before, you might want to give HelloFresh a try. It's very easy to use. And, you know, they deliver it to your door to your specifications. If, if you, you know, you work late on certain days, but you know you're home, you know, that you can say, oh, send them, make sure you send them on Wednesdays. That's the day where I know I can get it and it's not going to linger in the foyer too much, right? And if you're going on vacation, you can put it on hold for two weeks. You know, they have all these, they're there to work for you. And uh, so where do you go to sign up? You go to HelloFresh.com and you enter promo code ENGAGE30. ENGAGE30 is the promo code because you're going to get um, how much percent off the first week? That's $30 thir- off. $30 off your first order. That's why the promo go- code is ENGAGE30. I got a better idea. Put it in Gage 100. Get $100 off. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's in Gage 30. You get $30 off your first week. And, um, you know, you determine how often you want to get it or what kind of stuff. You can detail it toward what you want or you can just wing it and uh, give it a try. It's a whole new way to do things. Um, some people love it. Some people do it every night. Some people do it once in a while. You figure out what works for you. Check out Engage, uh, HelloFresh.com. All right. So that's what we got. Until we have the replicator, we have uh, HelloFresh. Not too shabby. What else is going on in this episode? 
Um, I feel like the the rest of the episode. Well, the, the, continue with with what happened with Tyler. There was the big con- confrontation with Tyler and uh, and Burnham, and she kind of doesn't want anything to do with him anymore, which is understandable. But I mean, it's not the most exciting plot point to me. Um, no, I zoned out during that. Yeah, she was like, I never want to see him again, and then she goes to see him again. On, and they on, have a big on Tilly's talk. recommendation, because Burnham went to Tilly to talk about it again, just showing how she's grown. Yeah. And that's right. And then Burnham goes to his quarters and they talk. <laughs> I don't remember what they said. <laughs> yeah. It, well, she basically she basically says that you know um, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm, we love I'm, each I'm, other. Yeah, but she's she's still kind of done. I mean, they still leave it as if Burnham's walking away. Because this was her first love, and he and he um, exploited her. But yeah. he didn't though. It wasn't his fault. Now I'm going to be like a Klingon's rights activist. It wasn't his <laughs> fault. He wasn't himself. He was he was mind uh you know, his brain was being torn asunder by uh Laurel and the and the matriarchs. So one of the lines I found very interesting there too is that um I'm I'm not sure if it was in in that conversation or, or what Tilly said is that but someone said that he's never gonna fly for the you know, the Federation again. Like they're never gonna let him sign up again. Right. They so won't give him a strike back. What is yeah. that what does that mean for that character moving forward? Uh, did they stick right. around? I mean, did, are they going to sacrifice well, themselves in the next next episode, or who knows? Well, that's a good point. I mean, by that logic, uh, Burnham should never be flying for the you know for the. She was on her way to a lifetime prison sentence. That's very true. That is very true. They've they've kind of swept swept that under the rug. I so I think what'll happen is is what could happen is similar to what happened to Burnham in the next episode or soon in season two. Tyler, the new Tyler, is going to prove himself of such valor that because he, he does will have all be, of Vox memories. He will be given. Well, do, he does. He sort of has a hazy recollection. So yes, he will be able to infiltrate the Klingon. There's a his here's theory number one. His intimate knowledge of Vok will allow him to somehow infiltrate the Klingon Empire and let the Federation win the day. Uh, and this will give him some sort of special dispensation, and he will be able to stay on board. That's theory one. Theory two is he nobly sacrifices himself next week and dies, and we never see him again. <laughs> I feel like that's too soon, considering uh, what does happen with Lorca, although where that's up for debate as well. But Yeah. No, no, they're not going to kill him off. He's a good actor, and he's he's important to Burnham because she loves him. Even though she's she's put him in the doghouse for now, I think she's being a little unfair putting him in the doghouse. I get it. I re- now I'm remembering now. I, I wasn't completely zoned out. She said, "I still feel your hands around my neck." Yeah, which that can was be a little scary. I'd say. <laughs> no, that 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 got to me. I was like, "Oh yeah," like I've never been in a situation where somebody's had sort of amnesia from, and he's really uh, an, a, a belligerent being from another planet. I've never experienced that. I don't think anyone has. <laughs> but um, I would imagine that even if that is the case, and you know in your logical part of your mind that it's not the guy's fault, if that person tries to strangle you, you're not going to want to hang around with him too much. No. Es- especially if you were one, as Michael Burnham was, who was emotionally closed off and perhaps a, a virgin, as we've as we've theorized, and it's your first love, and then this happens, off. Heavy duty, heavy duty emotional, um, emotional stuff. So, I can completely understand that. 
Uh, and uh, who knows what's going to happen next week? I, I really don't know. But I do think that Ash Tyler will be back. Yeah, and, well, it, um, it, it sounds like it sounds like the, the, they kind of danced around it. Uh, it sounds like the plan next week is to, not just to go down to the planet and map the planet, but I, I think that what Georgiou told Sarek was that, hey, let's let's blow up Kronos. I think that's what, right. they're, what they're building towards. Well, they're going to set off a chain reaction through under, underground lava caves. <laughs> and in order to do that, first they had to build a mushroom moon so they could get more spores. And they terraformed the planet. Uh, and uh, they made the mushroom planet, which I don't know. I thought that was kind of fun. I, uh, it was. Yeah, they you know they they whipped out a bunch. What was it? Eject spore terraforming, and then these little <laughs> things flew out. It was nice to watch. It looked pretty good too. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I hate to sound like I'm being a little glib about this episode, and, and maybe even a tad dismissive, which is unlike my usual stance. But it's not to say that I didn't have a good time. You know, while they were making, I remember watching, they're making the mushroom plant. I'm like, ah, oh, they're making a mushroom plant. Isn't that cool? <laughs> so, you know, it, it's an in-betweener, but it's not to say that it wasn't enjoyable. So that's what's going on with that. Mushroom planets. Stamets tells uh, tells Tyler to leave him alone. Probably not going to hang out with him, but then the other guys on the team, they, they kind of understand. So he's back on the softball team there. They all love him. So uh, that's what's happening this week in Star Trek. Anything that we left out, Brian? Uh, I think that's all I had. Okay, well, you know, next week we're going to have the big finale, and we'll have a more, I'm sure, uh, thorough investigation of what happens next week. After that coming up, I think it's available in stores starting Tuesday, the new prequel book by Dayton Ward called, what is the new one called? I forgot, it's in a different room. Yeah, <laughs> I have it in, I have it in the other room too. The prequel book I have not read, but it's set on, um, it involves uh, Kodos, the Executioner, and it's a prequel to the past, other prequel. It's set before Drastic David Max prequel. Drastic, Drastic Measures is the new one. Yes. The first one was called Desperate Hours. Desperate Hours. These are both very, very dramatic titles. Desperate Hours. Drastic Measures. So Drastic Measures is tied in in some way with... Kodos, the Executioner, which leads me to think that we may get a Kirk cameo, hmm. which would be amazing. So I'm starting to think that that's true. And it's set on the cover of Drastic Measures is Georgiou and uh, Lorca, prime Lorca, good Lorca. So we're going to get to see a little bit of him. Which should be interesting. You know, to look. one thing that this episode did not respond, didn't give a absolute clear definition of they did mention, Admiral Cornwell did say that the, the excuse me the mirror universe discovery when they switched over that that was destroyed. Oh yes, so, I forgot to mention that. So that is um, a little bit of a bummer. If we were wondering if we were going to ever see Captain Killy, yeah, I wanted to see Captain Killy. So the implication is that Captain Killy is dead. Now you never know; she could have gotten out in an escape pod or something. And now she's re- the- and she's in charge of the Klingon. Oh, she's not in charge of the Klingons because there's no Empire; they're all clans. So, so. <laughs> right, she's yeah, yeah. The Klingon Arth- Empire with her her. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Our theory from last week has been debunked. That's because it was my theory. If it was your theory, it would have been true. <laughs> But my theory was completely debunked. Uh, Captain Killy is dead. Now, the other thing that they sort of imply, I'd have to go through it again word by word, but she says something to the tune of the Lorca I knew was good. And they don't, if I'm not mistaken, it 
it's still a little bit ambiguous as to where good Lorca is. They say, oh, he's gone now. Yeah, they're assuming not- he's gone. They, 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 they flat out said that, oh, there's no way an officer alone could survive in that universe, which means an officer alone can survive out in that universe. It's exactly what it means. <laughs> right, right. So maybe good Lorca is is somewhere in the mirror universe. I don't know. Um, I guess that's that is the implication that good good Lorca is somewhere in the mirror universe, or he's dead. But the the the, the main thrust of it was they swept it away. They're like, don't listen, Lorca's gone for now. Let's get him out of your head. I still think his essence is trapped in the mycelial network because he, you know, the the way he died. But um, that's going to be a long time till we see him again. See, on on one hand, I I agree that, that they're definitely trying to to get you to forget about him. But at the same time, as if 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 they they do the oh hey they're dead but oh, hey we're bringing them back again like if they do that too many times it kind of loses the uh, its power. So, oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I kind of want to. I mean, unlike comic books, you know, when everybody dies, they're they're back in a few months or a year or whatever. I mean, like I, I kind of would like something to stick to stick, you know. Yeah. No, I I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Um, yeah. How like. Every member of the Fantastic Four has died so many times. Yeah, in the comics, exactly. They always come back. So, uh, how many times has Batman died? My God. So, uh, yeah, it's it's um, it's probably um, it's going to be a while. It's going to be a while till they bring him back. I think. Um, but yeah, it's unfortunate we're not going to see Captain Killy. But uh, who knows? Who knows? Indeed. But uh, it was kind of a funny. It was again. It was a real wrapping up moment that Cornwall had. Like he was like, "We're we're not going to tie all the loose ends here. Here they come, boom, boom, boom." So I thought that was kind of kind of fun. One more question, actually, before we we wrap up here. Where were they that they just were able to just transport onto the ship? Cornwall and, and all those other guys and Sarah, Like, wh- where were they? Were they were they on a ship? It didn't seem like it. I guess they were on a ship. I. I guess they were on a cloaked ship, maybe, or I don't know. I, I felt that kind of that kind of like came out of nowhere, and then they just did not explain it whatsoever. It certainly made for a dramatic entrance. It's true. Yeah, it did absolutely. And they had an Andorian and a Tellarite there. I actually, um, you know, what? Another thing about the but the Andorians, uh, I feel like everyone has looked exactly the same. Like they've only had one guy <laughs> in the costume because the details be. look exactly the same. Could be he's just Joe the Andorian, and he's the guy they use. Um, well, no, but there's w- one guy. There's one guy that was with with uh, Cornwell, and then yeah. there's another Andorian on with the uh, the the admirals or the command that she was yeah. speaking to through the holograms. But they look exactly the same. Oh, oh, so it's not. Well, it could be the same guy. It could actually be the same character. Maybe okay, and it could be the same character in the mirror universe too, because he kind of looks the same. That is very too. true. That well, that that I believe. Yeah. yeah, we don't know his name though. We don't. Well, Andy, maybe in the credits Andy, it's there. <laughs> Andy the Andorian. <laughs> Andy Dorian. Andy Dorian. Hello. My name is Andy Dorian. I'm an Andor. I'm an Andorian. Andy Dorian. Uh, Brian, it's time now to say goodbye. Yes. We've had another week of Star Trek. We've had another week of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. Uh, coming up soon, we've got some more uh, material coming your way. Trying to land a good guest. Don't want to jinx it. Trying to land it. And we got stuff from the cruise that we're going to uh, debut in the next coming week. So have no fear. When Discovery goes off the air, this podcast warps into the future. And we're going to get back to discussing more classic Trek, having more guests, 
uh, Trek guests, non-Trek guests, exciting times. And um, that's what you can pay. Uh, you can set your watch to that. You can go to Facebook.com slash Engage the Official Star Trek Podcast to leave a comment on the wall. And you can follow me at Twitter at Jay Hoffman, J-H-O-F-F-M-A-N. Thank you to our sponsors this week, Eagle Moss and HelloFresh. And thank you to you for listening. Because if there were no listeners, um, then... We'd be talking to a wall. We'd be talking to the wall or the ceiling. Sometimes I lay on my back while I talk. <laughs> wow, what an ending t- to this, this exciting I'm a episode. little tired. I'm a little tired today, Brian. <laughs> you know what we should do? We should, take, um, we should take more questions from the audience. If you want to go to Star Trek.com, sorry, to uh, Facebook.com slash engage the official Star Trek podcast. If you made it to the end of this podcast and hear this call out, go to the wall and leave a question and we'll answer it for you next week. How does that sound? It sounds pretty good to me. Sounds good to me. What do you think? Good. Sounds great. Actually, well, uh, I, I noticed the on your post from the last episode, somebody caught that I uh, I used an old intro for the show, and I didn't have yes, the, uh, that's the right. <laughs> so I was shout out to them. I, I can't remember their name, but shout out to them. Uh, <coughs> I'll make sure it's right this time. Yeah, I was going to tell you. I was going to say you used the old one, and and um, and somebody I did I saw that also that somebody mentioned that, <laughs> and then I said, you know what, everybody makes mistakes. I'm not going to tell Brian. It's not a big deal. But yeah, we'll change it for next one. All right, cool. So next week's going to be great. Episode 115, the big season finale. We don't know what's going to happen. They're going to blow up Kronos. Ash Tyler's going to sacrifice himself. Mirror Lorca's going to come back from the Mushroom Universe. We don't know what's going to happen. But tune in and we'll watch it together. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.